Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Now large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to wage war against another king, will not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000. If he cannot then, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. The Gospel of the Lord. You foreseen, or you foreseen, whose name and religion was Smaragdus. Well, that has a meaning, and we'll come back to that and keep it in mind. Her story's been around the block several times as a feminist tale, and now as a hero of the trans community. It's also a touching family tragedy with a happy ending. Let's start with the tragic story of Jephthah and his daughter. What we didn't hear in this reading is that he had made a vow that if he had won the battle, he would give the first living thing that he came upon when he came home as a sacrifice on the altar. That makes the rest of this make a lot more sense. Why is this the first reading? Like Ephesine's tale, a father had lost a beloved daughter. Much of the literary criticism, like the narrative in Ephesine, views the tale as a feminist story, either displaying the power of patriarchs over women, or, as some feminists write, the power of women to resist. In this case, Jephthah's daughter said, I will willingly, this is Mary again saying, take me, yes, I will. Um, she will willingly fulfill the vow to God, but she wants some time privately to consider who she is and what she is. And he gives it to her. And she goes on two months into the woods alone or with her friends. It's her power, it's her agency to resist. But it's his power to kill her. Here, Ephrosine, as Smaragdus, acts as the self-sacrificing virgin daughter. There's a problem with this. This is an old Greek trope that is a, a, a storyline a father sacrificing their daughters. 
Agamemnon and Iphigenia. He promises to kill the first, the enemy kills his daughter. It's the same story. There are any number of legends of the sac, but you see, there are a lot of legends about sacrifice of a son. So it's not just daughters, Tantalus and uh, Prelops. Uh, Minius and his son promised to Poseidon. Well, these are just two examples. We have them too. Abraham and Isaac. God in his mercy bails out Isaac. He's got plans for him. And what's the first of all? Jesus, son of God, son of man, who sacrifices himself in obedience to his father. So I want to step back from gender a little bit. The collect for this week, not for today, which is to uh, remind us of the story of Ephrosine, but for the week, reads, Grant us, Lord, not to be anxious about earthly things, but to love things heavenly. And even now, while we are placed among things that are passing away, to hold fast to those that shall endure through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. And this is where we must go to the teaching of Jesus in today's gospel. Jesus said, and we just heard it, I will repeat it, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. You see, I don't think that Ephrosine hated her father. I think she had to discern which of these two good and holy choices pulling at her were God's will for her. A daughter's obedience to her father or the goal call from God to take up the cross and give up everything. Put a pin in that. We'll come back to that. Ephrosine took the name Smaragdus. Uh, that means emerald. That's not a particularly feminine or masculine name, certainly not in the fifth century. Remember, this is early church. In that period, it was a symbol of resurrection into a new and purer life. So she is calling herself reborn. She was a woman who spent her life as a monk, a female monk disguised as a man. Now, she got on our calendar in many ways to offer some presence in the sacral calendar of someone who could be perceived as being trans. Uh, it came up, what, in 2019 or thereabouts, and it was, final approval was 2022. So it's very recent. She did share her, share, share, she did certainly share her gender bending moments. And so did Shakespeare, goodness gracious. Here's a tale worthy of Shakespeare. Let's talk about who she is. She was born in 410 of the Common Era to a wealthy Alexandrian family. The legend says her parents were childless until they went to a holy abbot 
who prayed for them, and soon her father and his wife were blessed by a daughter. Her father was a pious Christian, and he gave his beloved daughter a fine education in religious training, even taking her to the monastery of that same holy monk when he went for regular spiritual direction. In that period, by the way, there were women who were uh, known as theologians and philosophers by Karina for one or others. So it's not that unusual that she was taught. Um, at 18, uh, Euphrosyne's father arranged a wedding with a wealthy man of good repute. He wanted to give her every advantage and whatever children she might bear of a solid family life with enough money to put food on the table always. So he found a good, wealthy merchant friend of his and he arranged the marriage. But you see, she had already vowed herself to celibacy and to an ascetic life of prayer. That was between her and God. All religious vocations are. Here the versions of her legends vary. One says that she was taken to see the abbot for a blessing prior to her marriage. There she confessed to him her desire to lead the life of a religious as a monk. Although still concerned deeply about disobeying her beloved father. You see, that's why I said I don't think she hated her father. Uh, he reassured her uh, that her discernment would not damage her relationship with her father and her heart or the love for him, but that she had to follow her call to God. And he conspired with her. He said, well, there's going to be a big feast before your wedding and I'm invited and so are a couple of my companions here and we will spirit you away. What we want you to do is, is leave the feast, cut off your hair, put on men's clothing, and we will spirit you away and take you to the monastery. The other has her fighting with her father and fleeing. In any case, the abbot knew that this new novice, whom he trained apart from the brothers, was a woman. But he saw no reason to allow gender to go against the will of God. She was passed off as a eunuch. That accounted for the high pitch of her voice and her delicate appearance. But he also kept her somewhat se separated from the community. And when there was some discussion about how pretty she was, he gave her a cave to assist this new young novice and later bowed monk uh, to his devotional development. Her father was grieving the loss. He turned to religion. And he came weekly for spiritual direction and, and, and solace to the abbot, who promptly turned his spiritual direction over to this new monk who was making great strides, uh, who was his own daughter. And he didn't recognize her. She became her father's father in God. 
That's another twist. At some point, she revealed to him, um, just before she died, uh, she predeceased him. Uh, she revealed to him who she was in her memory. He, who was already a widower, became a monk himself, and he spent the rest of his life in her own cell. We can't even begin to assess what really happened. We do know that she wasn't the only holy virgin who dressed as a man to protect her celibacy, but she was the most celebrated. Was this a case of, of gender transformation? Possibly. Was it a practical matter where the common belief was that men could rise to greater holiness than women, so she saw the monastery as some call to religion in later days, sought communities known for their ascetic piety. Was it a place she felt safe due to her previous association with the abbot? We just don't know. A very wise man told me that gender wasn't just about sex, but how one sees oneself. Now we've taken to wrapping girl babies' heads in bands with bows to identify them. Like, yes, girl babies' heads would explode. I never did understand that. It wasn't tradition in my day. Uh, in my day, it was pink for girls and blue for boys. The uh, irony of that is, in the old days, it was red for men and blue for women, but switched around. Even now, the new awareness and sensitivity of the trans movement tends to place people into a male or female categories. Will the whole of the LGBTQIA2S plus, and who knows how many other letters, movement has opened the way for far more possibilities of self-reflection and self-identity. And we still live with the looming fear that there's a threat of sex, sex and sexual intercourse, while it can happen to same-sex uh, incidents, mostly it's about men uh, who abuse women or women who seduce men. Perhaps eunuch is the best term for smaragdus. That at least opens the possibility that she saw herself as having no gender at all, but was focused on glorifying God and his son Christ Jesus, her savior. We just don't know. But we can suspect that hiding all those years must have been a great test of her faith and her obedience. Imagine how she had to avoid displaying her gender in any way. That was pretty easy in a community where you didn't take communal baths, you didn't go out and play touch football, but still, she had to hide this all the time. Perhaps this was the tension which led her to greater and greater dependence on God and God alone, as she repeatedly renewed the truth of her vocation until God's grace brought her to such deep faith and trust in God that she was at peace. Frankly, I'm glad that the uh, trans community finds fellowship with her. 
The gay and lesbian communities have found comforts in so many saints whose sexual preferences for their own sex mirror their own. It's nice to know that this has always been with us. And God apparently is not striking anybody dead. It's an example of, of love and self-recognition and it's all well with God. But I honor her especially for following her own truth, whatever that may have been. For me, what is important is moving past male and female to whatever complex shape God gives us. Oh, there's a wonderful line in um, a movie, Breakfast at Tiffany's, which was pretty shocking in the day, where the female protagonist said there's a little lesbian in all of us. They have no idea what's inside people until they look and they're honest with themselves. And that's good, because we're now living in a world where all those little jigsaw pieces are okay. So in summary, Euphrosyne teaches us that God doesn't care if you're male or female, or something a little in between, or even nothing at all. God doesn't care if you're young or you're old or something in between. I mean, Abbott was old, she was young, the father was in between. What God cares about is love and devotion to Jesus, abiding in him, obeying him, and following the call of the Spirit, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing community welcoming those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You may reach us by phone at 415-388-1907, search for us online, or visit our website at OurSaviorMillValley.org. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to greet you in person very soon. Oh, uh-huh.